Last year, I think it was July, Project Endgame busted an illegal casino at a sprawling mansion north of Toronto and York Region. Well, charges have been withdrawn against a central figure in the case. His lawyers are now alleging that police planted evidence and stole items from his house. So charges have been dropped in this um, mansion gaming bust. Uh, here to talk about what is uh, an interesting story, to say the least, not something anybody anticipated, Joseph Neuberger, who is a criminal lawyer. Welcome to the show, Joseph. Good to have you on. Oh, thank you very much. So as a guy who's seen a lot of criminal investigations, what stands out to you most about this story? Oh, my God. I, I just can't believe the obviousness of this. So the officers were careful to take photographs uh, in the bedroom of a number of watches, which would stand out, a Patek Philippe and a, a Jaeger Couture, which would be around, I don't know, 150000 another one 300000 How do they compare and- to a Casio? Uh, I think they're a little bit more expensive, but not nearly as accurate. Okay, just wanted to make sure we had, you know, <laughs> everything sorted here. Yeah, so Absolutely. these were very expensive luxury watches that most of us cannot afford. That's right. And then they, they photograph them, and then when they go to uh, bag the evidence and tag it, um, these items are not tagged. And in the disclosure, with, a, you know, a very careful review by these very good lawyers, they look... And there is zero mention on the exhibit logs of uh, of the watches. They're not amongst any of the documentation. And then with uh, uh, questions being asked, the police can't locate them. So they're missing. So that is incredibly suspicious. I think the only conclusion you can draw from that is that they were scooped up by some officers. Um, and then when this was brought to their attention, YRP, uh, advised that they conduct an extensive search and can't find them. The, the other thing which I find really uh, astounding is that there was a gun holster in the accused bedroom during a secondary search on July 24th, which is sometime later. And uh, it's fairly obvious because it's only found on the secondary search, not the first time it was searched, which looks like it was planted in an attempt to you know, connect that individual with guns uh, found elsewhere in the house. So both of these, in my humble opinion, are are fairly obvious. And um, these are very astute lawyers who are defending uh, this gentleman and other individuals. And so this is not going to escape scrutiny. It's just amazing to me. I, I just shocking. Yeah. The York Regional Police obviously are conducting an investigation into uh, what allegedly has been uh, theft and planting of evidence. It's definitely not a good look. And this, uh, I, I have to wonder, as somebody that, you know, is uh, just watching this story go down, do you think that the fact that this uh, was such a, a, you know, a large investigation, I mean, it had a name, Endgame, uh, made whoever possibly allegedly stole the watches feel comfortable that it was a slam dunk and so yeah, they wouldn't you know, be found out? You know, that's an excellent point because, you know, on a very sophisticated investigation of a sophisticated operation where, you know, presumably you're going to be obtaining uh, evidence which is extremely inculpatory. So you know, you'd think that the conviction would be a slam dunk. Those who are investigating um, and these may be 
not lead investigators in the in the case might think, you know, what's to lose? Nobody's going to notice this. The guy's going to wind up being found guilty and nobody will notice. Um, so, yeah, they might find some safety in that. Mm-hmm. But that's misplaced. That's misplaced confidence. There's there's no way there's no way in a case like this with this kind of money that it's not going to be looked at very carefully by the defense lawyers. I mean, short of the York Regional Police walking around and asking everybody on the force that was involved with Project Endgame, hey, we got the time. This is uh, an extensive, I would imagine, uh, investigation. How does this reflect on New York Regional Police? Not well. Uh, This is really a a very bad blemish. Uh, And I'm sure that the chief, along with uh, many of the high-ranking officers and the lead investigators on this case, are extremely upset and angry because integrity is important to York Regional Police. And this type of conduct um, not only calls into question the integrity of the service, but calls into question the ability of police officers and these units to conduct sophisticated investigations without screwing them up by having somebody commit theft and plant evidence. And this type of, um, it's just bad. It's it's Mm -hmm. really bad. It just tarnishes their reputation, and then can cast out on other investigations. You know, we're very careful to make sure we get videos of all the searches. And when we don't have videos, it makes us nervous. And I think now the standard has to be every single search has to be completely videotaped to ensure that nothing like this happens. Okay, so let's talk about the charges that will stand, because it's not as though everyone associated with that mansion and the allegedly illegal gambling casino is off scot-free here. No. So this, you know, the main player uh, seems to have had the charges go bye bye as a result of this. But then, um, although there are other people who will be who are linked and will have evidence against him. And of course, I'm not privy to what other evidence exists, whether there's uh, surveillance or wiretaps or whatever. But one also has to cast out on the integrity of that evidence. So lawyers will carefully scrutinize Mm. all the evidence. And then if there's a theft here, and a planting of evidence there. Who's to say that wires aren't tampered with? Um, you know, what else is going on? I mean, I think in this case as well, another something that was egregious was on a on a subsequent search, the police took a photograph, I can't believe this either, of the retainer agreement between the lawyer and the accused, thinking somehow that that would lead uh, or assist their investigation. And that solicitor-client privilege, that should never happen wow. in a million years. That's another one that wasn't widely reported. So then when you start to uncover all this, it's like unpeeling an onion. What else has happened in this investigation and impacts other accused people? I mean, this whole investigation now is under suspicion. And does this bring into, uh, I guess, into question other investigations that have happened within the York Regional Police Force? Yeah. So, I mean, depending upon who was involved, if they identify individuals and if those individuals other investigations that can infect the integrity of prior investigations. So if you have an officer who is found to be um, responsible for a theft and planting of evidence in case X, uh, if he was involved in case uh, A, B, and C six, seven months earlier, and they have somewhat of a critical role in the finding and logging of evidence, that may call into question the integrity in that case as well. We've seen that before with drug units and how it can uh, impact a cascade of cases. So this is this is something which is may have uh, uh, farther reaches than this simply just this one investigation. So at the end of the day, the takeaway is logging in in uh, in an investigation, logging of evidence is crucially important 
as far as uh, your case is concerned, because if it is off in any way, shape or form, uh, it, it could be advantageous to, you know, to the defense. Yeah, I mean, I you know, if you're regardless of the value of the watches, if you're tagging evidence, because in this case, it would be proceeds of crime. They're going to assume that these large ca- the items are purchased with cash from an illegal operation. You know, you have to carefully photograph, video, uh, log it appropriately and put it into evidence. If that's if that's not done, then it's going to call into question the investigation. And this can't happen on a regular basis. It just can't happen. I want to turn our attention to just the tragic story of uh, that vehicle crash. 16-year-old driving a Mercedes slams into a 4-year-old and a 10-year-old in their driveway. A neighbor was helping them change the t- the uh, chain on one of their bicycles. And both of those children have now succumbed to their injuries. They, it, It's a horrible story because it's not just about two kids. It's about three kids because the driver was a 16-year-old boy. He's been charged with dangerous driving, um, and and have the charges been upped as well? Because we have two kids now that have some uh, that have uh, passed away. Yeah, they've been upgraded to dangerous driving causing death. So yeah, it's absolute tragedy. What is this kid facing? Well, he's uh, going to be dealt with under the Youth Criminal Justice Act, uh, but he's 16 years of age. So prosecutors in the case when the uh, accident reconstruction evidence is all done may very well decide that they want to seek an adult sentence. Um, Under the Youth Criminal Justice Act, there's a wide range of sentencing, uh, but the maximum is 10 years and it would not be for this type of an offense. So they may want to seek uh, an adult sentence and then give notice. And so uh, the individual could be sentenced uh, if found guilty, which I don't think is going to be very hard. Uh, to a much more substantial sentence. But there are all sorts of provisions and provisos that apply to somebody who's a youth. So they will not be dealt with, even if they're sentenced as an adult, it's a much more lenient process than if it's somebody who's 18, 19, 20 or older. Well, speaking of an adult, uh, is there any way to hold the adults, the parents, accountable for his actions if he was driving their car? Civilly, but not criminally. So um, if he's properly licensed and, um, you know, operating a motor vehicle, the parents don't have any responsibility for his criminal conduct or his highway traffic conduct. But civilly, uh, you know, there may be a duty of care owed if the parents were aware of the recklessness of their son is driving a uh, Mercedes, which, uh, you know, is a fast vehicle. Mm -hmm. Uh, So there may be some civil liability. I still think it's a stretch. Um, it's really something which is just, it's going to be sued. The insurance company is going to be the one on the hook. The family should be sued directly as well. But, you know, regardless of that, you know, I I think the question is about how parents will supervise their children in operating vehicles when they're 16 years of age. And, you know, although I had a license when I was 16, you realize as you get older, you don't know anything. Mm -hmm. And the the tendency uh, to, to do stupid stuff is just really high. And I, I think we have to look at the licensing now because we see a lot of young people involved in accidents that cause serious bodily harm and death. And I think we're going to have to take a very serious look at uh, what age is appropriate to get behind the wheel and operate a vehicle on your own without adult supervision. Joseph, I want to thank you for your time. Really informative. I, I appreciate it every time you're on the show. Thank you. Oh, my pleasure. Take care and have a good day. You too. Joseph Newberger, criminal lawyer and 640 Toronto legal analyst.
It is just a heartbreaking story. At the end of the day, you're not going to bring those two kids back, and I can't imagine what that, those parents are going through in that neighborhood, that community.